and Goal Fantasy Podcast. I'm Calvin, your host here with you as always. And in today's show, I'll be previewing RBs for fantasy football in 2022. The running back position, arguably the most important in fantasy football, is what I'll be talking about today. Also be discussing some news and also got a great guest in the second part of the show. Not only Chris, who returns as a co-host for that part of the show, but also a guest who we had on probably about two years ago on this very RB preview show. It was a ton of fun recording that segment, which I already recorded, which will be later in the show. But we talked to Christopher Harris of the Harris Fantasy Football Podcast. It was so much fun getting to talk to him, hearing his thoughts on fantasy football here in July. And we talked about some complicated backfield situations and how our views on them might alter as we move closer towards this season. And that was a ton of fun. Great to talk with Chris again and Chris, both Chris's, after a long time because it had been really two full years since we had had him on the show, but great to have him return as well. And so that was a ton of fun. So you want to stick around to the end for that. But first, of course, we've got some news. We've got to talk RBs. This is going to be a lot of fun. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Calvin underscore SGF if you haven't already. Also, as I announced last week, I had that SFB 12, the Scott Fishbowl 12 live draft which is an industry league for those who don't know, all in the name of charity with about 3,000 teams this year. I was in the Sirius XM live division with a ton of other great analysts and one fan, and it was a ton of fun drafting with them. I wrapped up my SFB 12 draft, and it was one of the toughest challenges I've ever done, probably the toughest fantasy league I've ever been in because of all of these like super smart people in it, but I thought I did really, really well overall. Super, super happy with how the draft went. But yeah, if you want to, or I guess you can't already, you can't listen anymore because it's already happened as this podcast is coming out on Wednesday, but it was a lot of fun. I guess I'll read my team briefly as well. Again, the Scott Fishbowl 12. If you go to scottfishbowl.com, you can find out about that. All the drafts are happening this week. It's a ton of fun. And I was able to do mine live and did not actually end up calling into Sirius XM and being able to talk on my picks live on the radio. Some did, um, some did get called to talk about their teams and, but I was on a live stream throughout Sunday, uh, with a bunch of other people in that division, which was a ton of fun. And also of course had my picks mentioned and my team talked about on the show as well, which was so much fun hearing myself mentioned on the radio on Sirius XM fantasy sports radio. So that was an incredible experience. So I guess I'll just read through my team real quick. Feel free to skip like 30 seconds to a minute away if you don't care. Um, But yeah, Scott Fishbowl 12 team in the books and it was a ton of fun. And of course you can follow me on Twitter at Calvin underscore SGF. If you scroll back a few days, you can probably find updates about the draft as well. But basically I started off my draft. I was at the 110 round one. It's a super flex league completion percentage is weighted very heavily. And so I picked up Tom Brady and Derek Carr at that one, two turn two guys who lend very well to this format. That is going to be an elite tier QB combination. Then third round reversal. So I picked at the 303 grabs Devonte Adams. there. really happy to get that stack with Carr. Then James Conner at the 410, David Montgomery at the 503. I was really happy with the Conner pick. He was the RB5 last year and could be really nice. And um, then at the 610, Brees Hall, the rookie RB. Then Dalton Schultz, 703. It's a tight end premium league. I was really happy with Schultz's upside, given Amari Cooper's gone from that team. Traylon Burks, Michael Thomas, two guys with a lot of upside. 
especially Burks. If MT can come back from his injury and be anything close to what he was, really, he'll be great. Christian Watson, then then Sky Moore, more rookie receivers. Kenny Galladay, a guy who I still think can be the wide receiver one in his offense, potentially. Ronald Jones, a guy who's got a shot in KC's backfield. Brian Robinson, an interesting piece in Washington's backfield. And then Jahan Dotson, a Washington receiver. Then Robert Tunyon, Geno Smith, Drew Locke, Logan Thomas. Then I picked a couple kickers who are actually pretty good in flex spots this year. They have some pretty high scoring, no negative scoring this year for kickers. They could actually put up a decent amount of points. Rodrigo Blankenship and Brandon McManus. And then CJ Uzama wrapped up the draft. It was a ton of fun. Let me know what you think of the team on Twitter. Um, And it was a ton of fun getting to talk with all these people, draft with them, hear my team talked about a bit on the radio. And a lot of my fellow division mates able to call in and talk about their picks, or I guess not call in. They were invited to call in and talk about their picks. So that was a ton of fun, a great experience overall. And big shout out to Scott Fish for allowing me to participate in that and Sirius XM um, for allowing me to participate in that draft. So it's going to be a tough season, but a fun season. And I'm really excited for the upside of this team. Try to take a lot of my advice from my tips last week, like drafting rookies and all that. So for sure. Anyway, let's get into the show. If you don't care about all that, that's okay. Um, Let's get into it. First, some news to talk about. Baker Mayfield has been traded. We got some news in the quarterback world. He's been traded to the Carolina Panthers in exchange for a 2024 conditional fifth-round pick that could become a fourth if playing time incentives are met. So Baker on the move. This was expected. It seemed like he had basically cut ties with the Cleveland Browns earlier in the offseason. They were committing to Deshaun Watson suspension aside. They were ready to take the brunt of that and have him as their new starting quarterback. And they give him a great contract. So finally, Baker moves on. He'll be in an immediate competition with Sam Darnold and Matt Corral for the starting role in the Panthers offense. And he's definitely got a decent shot at taking it. I don't know for Panthers receivers. I think this probably represents a slight upgrade for DJ Moore, slight upgrade um, for him for sure. And then just as this offense as a whole, because Baker's nothing special. Baker has struggled to give elite wide receiver production to really anybody, including OBJ, as we saw throughout his time there in Cleveland. But he's an upgrade over Sam Darnold, who was really atrocious and was really just dragging this young, talented Panthers team down last year. So I see DJ Moore as maybe a guy who could get a couple more touchdowns, a little bit more yardage. So that's a slight upgrade for him as well. So I'm very, I'm happy about that move for a guy like DJ Moore, who does receive a slight upgrade. Robbie Anderson as well, maybe a guy to look for. Terrace Marshall, sleeper rookie who gets a bit of an upgrade, but I just don't see the thing is Mayfield's not great, and I don't see three receivers being supported in this offense. So one of them's probably not going to have too much, uh, especially with Christian McCaffrey in this offense as well. It's going to be hard to rely on consistent production outside of DJ Moore, but it could be there. So things to look at as we go closer to the season. Let's talk RB rankings, and then you'll get to hear a part two of the show where Christopher Harris, Chris, my co-host, and I got to talk polarizing RBs for 2022. That was so much fun. Let's look at the RB rankings though. We'll run down through these for a little while. um, And probably around the top 24 guys we'll run through briefly. Not going to spend a ton of time on each one, but going to give a recap, a synopsis and my general thoughts on each of them so that we can whiz through all these players and get as much information in here as possible. Let's start with the RB1 on Fantasy Pros Half PPR Rankings and the RB1 on my board next year. Jonathan Taylor, the number one overall pick, or one who should be, absolutely broke out last year. Incredible explosive rushing ability. 
And I don't see how he's not the number one overall pick next year. With Christian McCaffrey, he was really the only one that had the Jonathan Taylor type of upside who's available at the top of drafts. Christian McCaffrey and Jonathan Taylor are unequaled in upside. But McCaffrey has been injured with a myriad of injuries over these last couple seasons. As you'll see, we talked about with Chris uh, later, Christopher Harris, he talked about how Christian McCaffrey, a body like that, may not be built for the 25-30 touch workload a game. And so that's why he's always kind of been fading Christian McCaffrey and never had him as his number one overall pick, which has really worked out over these last couple of years. So I have Taylor ahead of McCaffrey for sure. Also, it's interesting because then I think there's this next tier because I think Jonathan Taylor is the RB1. And then you have a guy like Christian McCaffrey who's sitting at the RB2 and half PPR. He's got so much upside, more upside than Austin Eckler or Derrick Henry have, but he's really just dead even with those two guys just because of that injury risk. We've seen Eckler have some injury risk as well. That's something to watch for. And the 20 touchdowns that may go down a little bit, but both of those guys, McCaffrey and Eckler, incredible pass catchers. And then Derrick Henry, when he just keeps running and running and running and scoring a ton of touchdowns and dominating teams in the second half, he's huge and can be up in that elite tier. So it's close. Derrick Henry, honestly, might be my RB2 out of those just because of the safe consistency that he provides. But they're all very, very close. I don't have finalized RB rankings yet, but that's kind of my next tier for me. And then maybe after that, you look a little bit down the board. Dalvin Cook, Najee Harris, Joe Mixon. That seems to be the next tier. And Dalvin Cook at the RB5 on Fantasy Pros. He's had consistently really, really good fantasy value for so long that it seems like people are having name fatigue because Dalvin Cook, it's honestly seems like he's being lumped in. And I said he was in the same tier as a guy like Najee Harris and Joe Mixon, but I still think he's above both of those guys in terms of consistency, year-to-year consistency that he provides. Harris had a ton of receptions last year. I feel like that's going down with Ben Roethlisberger gone, who loved to check down the ball a lot. And then Joe Mixon, again, just demonstrated a little bit of an inability to stay healthy. Maybe Joe Mixon and Dalvin Cook is close. But let's not forget about Dalvin Cook. And I don't think you should be sad about Dalvin Cook if a guy like Najee Harris or a guy like Joe Mixon goes ahead of him and he falls to you because that's great value. And Dalvin Cook's still an elite tier running back. After that, you look and see a guy like DeAndre Swift at the RB8. He is fantastic, catches a ton of passes, got injured again or got injured last year. And it seems like that's the story for many running backs. They're not too durable in general as a position. So unless it's an extreme case like Chris McCaffrey, again, you can't really just talk about that too much because all running backs are kind of injury prone. But a guy like DeAndre Swift definitely deserves to be up there. PR upside for sure around that RB8 position. Nick Chubb in the, the RB9. He's going to be limited by Kareem Hunt as always, but he's still found ways to put up RB1 production year after year. One of the best pure runners in the game gets a ton of touchdowns, very efficient, and he's only going to be helped by this addition of Deshaun Watson. He just can't catch the ball. So in full PPR, it's not a fun pick to make, but sometimes it's the safe and smart pick to make because people, again, kind of get that name fatigue with Nick Chubb, like, oh no, he doesn't have the upside. Well, sometimes you want to look for safety, and especially in this range when the upside is kind of dwindling in terms of having RB1 overall level upside. Nick Chubb is just a safe dude who you can count on to be a top 12 player. Aaron Jones at the RB10. He's had a few RB the top five RB seasons in the past. Just going to have to compete with A.J. Dillon there in this backfield, of course. And that limits him a little bit. We saw Aaron Jones just not getting the same consistent amount of carries and having a bit of more inconsistency. I think without Devontae Adams in this Packers offense, they're going to run the ball a little bit more. Maybe check it down Aaron Jones a little bit more. I like his value. I think he's an RB1 just with some risk attached. RB11, speaking of name fatigue, it's Leonard Fournette, who everyone wants to count out. But let's keep in mind, he's in one of the best offenses in the league in Tampa Bay. And he had some really, really good production, RB1 level production last year. RB12, Javante Williams. Um, and once this team re-signed Melvin Gordon, the Broncos, 
Uh, Devontae Williams' value definitely took a hit. He showed he's probably the better running back in this backfield, but I don't see Melvin Gordon completely going away. It's still going to be a backfield by committee. Maybe Williams gets a few more carries than he did last year, but Gordon was still very effective in that role. So Javante may not have that top five upside he had before, but sure, in the back end RB1 range, absolutely a fine pick. Now the wild card, a couple of wild cards coming up. Alvin Kamara at RB13. We have potential for him to be suspended for about six games, which seems to be the thought process. I think when Alvin Kamara is healthy, he's a top 10 RB, probably even maybe a borderline top five RB, but we just don't know if he's going to be out for the start of the season. And for now, because of that, you just got to take a lot of these guys ahead of him who have that upside and who have that elite bell cow status. So him sitting at the RB 13, that could shift up or down. If he's suspended for six games, I expect him to be in the mid tier RB two kind of range. If not, he jumps back up to his usual stature back in like that top eight kind of range as well. RB14, Saquon Barkley. This is a wild card. If you're going to take a shot on Saquon Barkley, you have to know that it comes with top five upside, but also big risk to do what he did last year and just absolutely bust. Wasn't the same explosive player. We're hoping that Brian Dable coming in will revitalize this offense and that Daniel Jones improves and that the running game improves. And I mean, with the offensive line injuries they had last year, hopefully that gets better too. So Saquon Barkley's got a lot of upside, but a lot of risk. The guy behind him, RB15, another example of kind of name fatigue, James Conner, who we like to forget about. He's a very, very good inside runner. He was the RB5 last year, and he's in an Arizona offense with one of the best QBs in the league and Kyler Murray with a ton of touchdown upside. And now that Chase Edmonds has gone from this backfield, you have James Conner there, and he's going to probably continue to be catching a lot of passes too, which is what he was doing in that time. I mean, they added Daryl Williams, but he's probably not going to have as big of a role as Chase Edmonds, and I would think. But I mean, the fact is, James Conner, when Chase Edmonds was injured last year, he was huge for fantasy football in terms of catching passes as well. Just absolutely awesome. And so I expect him to be very, very sneaky in PPR and also get a lot of rushing touchdowns as well. Um, now we jump down to another tier. This is kind of the boring dead zone of running backs. David Montgomery, Zeke, Cam Akers, Antonio Gibson, these next four. Montgomery first, of course. He's kind of just been the same guy, mid-tier RB2 for a couple of years now. Uh, Khalil Herbert's a guy who could potentially threaten his role just a little bit, but I think you know what you're getting in David Montgomery. Same kind of thing with Zeke, who maybe seems to be a bit slower than he was earlier in his career, but he's still getting a lot of volume. Pick him around there for sure. Cam Akers, also a wild card. Coming off of that... um, injury the Achilles injury did not look the same in the playoffs I talked about him later with Christopher Harris and he it's just so hard to know so few running backs come back from this Achilles injury fully successfully and return to form it just really doesn't happen with that particular injury so Akers has some upside but a lot of downside as well John McVay kept feeding him last year in the playoffs that's a good sign Antonio Gibson falling down in rankings, RB19. It's scary because they're saying that Gibson has had fumbling issues at the goal line, and that's why they drafted Brian Robinson to take carries from him at the goal line and maybe be an inside runner. We don't want him to take first and second down carries, but he might. And so Gibson, who hasn't gotten as much work in the passing game as people would have liked for years now, may, we may have to accept that this is where he's going to be, and it's borderline top 20 range. And I honestly think I might take a guy like Brees Hall ahead of him because Brees Hall in the second round for the Jets was just drafted to be their starter. I see him stepping in immediately and being a good runner for them. And, I mean, if he gets a decent amount of volume, this offense with Zach Wilson added weapons this offseason. And Garrett Wilson, they got Corey Davis. They got Elijah Moore breaking out. I think this – they and they got a good offensive line as well 
with a couple of like young names on there. So Brees Hall, I see with top 12 upside, he's worth a shot at that pick. One of my favorite values next year. J.K. Dobbins, RB21 coming off the ACL. This is an injury that's much easier to come back from. He's just got Gus Edwards and Lamar Jackson to compete for carries for. So that's going to limit his upside as always. I see him as an efficiency, low volume guy who maybe gets some fluky luck with touchdowns here and there. So he's in a fine spot for sure. Wild card here at RB22, Travis Etienne. First round draft pick last year. Now that coaching staff is gone in Urban Meyer. So we know have no idea how Doug Peterson is going to use Travis Etienne. James Robinson, of course, had the Achilles. That may be tough for him to come back to from, but I just don't know. I, I wouldn't guarantee for sure that Travis Etienne is going to step in as a starter and that he's going to be excellent. He's a good pass catcher. I just didn't love his tape in college. Thought he was a little bit too patient behind the line. So that's why I don't love his ability to potentially be super, super efficient. So I think when James Robinson comes back, he might actually prove to be the better between the tackles runner, but maybe ETN establishes himself in the start of the season in this role and becomes the starter. So he's got a lot of upside there for sure. Josh Jacobs at the RB 23. We know what he's been for multiple years when the Raiders are winning games. Josh Jacobs runs the ball a lot and dominates. He's just going to be a consistent guy and maybe dropping a bit too far in drafts because we're forgetting about him. Don't forget that this Raiders offense just added Devonte Adams and now looks a lot better. Maybe for some more efficiency for Josh Jacobs, to wrap up this top 24, Elijah Mitchell, this rolling, revolving door in San Francisco has now put Elijah Mitchell as the starter. That could stay. That seems like it's going to stay for next year. He seems pretty cemented. But then again, Kyle Shanahan's unpredictable. So RB24, with Trey Lance in that offense, he may run the ball and take some carries and goal line touches a little bit. But honestly, I don't mind that price and could see Elijah Mitchell exceeding that and being a good value there for sure. So that's about it for these top 24 RBs. I will have rankings coming out soon, probably in August, if not in July. And be sure to keep an eye out for those. Christopher Harris, Chris, and I all dove in to some polarizing RBs in the later part of the episode, including some I just recapped, as well as a few others. So absolutely, I hope this helped you out. Feel free to hit me out, up with any questions at Calvin underscore SGF on Twitter. I wanted to run through it kind of rapid fire, give my general thoughts on these guys that I could not only touch on as many as possible, but also just not keep this episode too long because the part with Christopher Harris was also about 35 minutes long. Don't want to scare people off with a crazy amount of length. So it's already pretty long anyway, given how long my previous episodes have been. But yeah, it's absolutely, um, it was absolutely a great segment. Um, that you're about to hear in just a second. So I had a ton of fun recording that. So here it is, everybody. Loyal podcast listeners, the moment you've all been waiting for, it is the return of Christopher Harris to the Second and Goal Fantasy Podcast. That starts right now. And so now we get to welcome on a guest who we had on a couple of years ago, actually back on this very RB preview show in July, two summers ago. Uh, it's great to have him back. He's the host of the Harris Fantasy Football Podcast. Yes, we're having Christopher Harris back on the show once again. Chris, it's great to have you. I still remember having you two years ago. It was so much fun. And I'm glad to get to talk to you again and get to talk fantasy. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. You guys have gotten bigger. <laughs> we've got we've gotten a lot better too it's it, we, we always listen we listen back at those old interviews and just think about how funny it is now so it's, it's cool to have you back thank you you're, yeah thanks for having me your your voices are much deeper yeah <laughs> and you're and you're much larger human beings now you could mm -hmm. definitely you probably could have beat me up then but now you definitely mm -hmm. can <laughs> yeah 
Well, absolutely. It's great yeah. to have you back as always. And of course, you, uh, Chris hosts the Harris Fantasy Football Podcast for most of you, obviously, who listening or who are listening probably know that already. But um, yeah, absolutely. So it's great to have you. Obviously, you're starting up your podcast again um, around now as well. So I guess we've just got a couple of questions for you before we dive into talking about some RBs, which I probably described earlier in the previous part of the episode um, for the listeners to hear. Uh, so Chris, why don't you, uh, get us started with your, or do you want to get us started with your first question? Yeah. Okay. So my first question as someone, uh, just like reading up on and listening, listening to your podcast and all that, obviously one of your big focuses is watching actual game film. I mean, watching every single game, you know, so that's a pretty big part. And so I was just like wondering, obviously, as we're talking about RBs, what are some of the things that you notice kind of as trends between RBs that tend to outperform expectations on films? Like, are there a few you're keying in on a few things that you see them doing that you feel like differentiates them kind of it's a great great question and i get asked it a lot and i think first of all like boy it's it's hard because it depends on what the expectations are you know the expectations for any given running back can be so subject to who else is on the depth chart what people think of the offense, what people think of the offensive line, what people think of the coach, you know, this industry builds by industry. I mean, fantasy, but also just NFL, they build a story of how they think the season's going to go and how that player is going to do in that season. And we, you know, that becomes the narrative of how this is supposed to go. And in some cases that narrative is, um, you know, he's the only guy there, so he's going to be great. He's Miles Gaskin. How can he miss? Right. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. other times it's like, uh, oh, he's got no, you know, he's got no chance. There's too, too many other, too many other names there, or that they're too pass heavy, or, you know, you guys know there's yeah. a million different ways that they could go. So I wouldn't say there's like one thing where you go that for sure, if you see that on film, that means they're going to confound expectations because the expectations are, are, are so different, but in, if we're just talking about what I like when I look at a running back, what I what I maybe think that guy could be good, whether regardless of what expectations are, it's it's kind of you you know when you see it a little bit, but um, there's some some combination of a fair amount of directness in the running style, uh, not pitter patting their feet when they don't have to when when you can sometimes you can't tell where a play is supposed to go when you're watching a play on film but mm-hmm. if you if you know if you you know sometimes you can and if you know where the play is supposed to go and they go there and they let the blocking develop and they you know are are with the play as opposed to con- continually improvising um i like that and yet the ability to improvise and make somebody miss when he has a little bit of room um it depends on the the size of the running back but sometimes just being able to bully through tackles. I, I for sure, Mm -hmm. like if I, if I see a guy who is outweighed by a linebacker, but knocking him down, I'm certainly going to notice. It's not like the number one thing that I need to have, but Mm -hmm. I'm really interested. I mean, Javante Williams last year, like just when I started, heard myself talking, there were times where I felt like he didn't really know what he was doing. Um, there are times where I felt like his cutting was man, not that great, but my God, <laughs> he could break tackles. Yeah. Uh, and so that, you know, you kind of get in your head what kind of player he is and he's, you know, you're not going to ask him to run tons and tons of outside zone, but man, he's really, really strong and tough and going to make mm-hmm. a bunch of big plays just because of that. So I, I do, th- you know, I, I think it's like, 
there's no box that all running backs have yeah. to fit in, but it is sort of, you know, when you see players who are, are, not going down for various reasons and mm-hmm. that can be size that could be evasiveness and yeah i don't know i hope i hope i talked my way around a coherent answer there <laughs> yeah I, I mean i totally agree to you my mind kind of just immediately as you're talking just jumps to someone like derrick henry i mean obviously one of the best backs in the nfl right now you're talking about that idea of a direct running style can bulldoze someone he still has those moves in the open field too like he's just kind of and obviously he's at the top of the at the top of his game right now and he's performing extremely well and he's at the top of the nfl so i think that just yeah like it's just he's a perfect so funny though sorry to interrupt but he's so funny because i watch him on film and i i've been behind on derrick henry all the way through like obviously he's the biggest running back out there sometimes he's the biggest player out there mm-hmm. he's 250 something pounds yeah. like that the power was never really in doubt he's not a great mover in space he doesn't really find holes he doesn't make people like take evasive action when a play is shut down he has so many kind of plays where you go that was one yard two yards like mm-hmm. in a case in cases where we think maybe a more uh you know with a person a running back that has a little more oomph right off the bat would actually make something happen people get so wrapped up in him having that oh the breakaway speed well yeah i mean if you like a fire a starter pistol and say run yeah. like the, after those first 20 yards he's going really fast especially for a guy of his size but he's not that fast getting up to speed mm-hmm. all these things he, he kind of you know he, the way he got around it was insane volume and great size and therefore lots of touchdowns and the problem with insane volume is what you saw last year with derrick henry your foot breaks you know the problem with insane volume is that eventually it can catch it now anybody can get hurt and derrick henry still deserves to be a top five pick but um it's funny that you bring him up because he's certainly got the power part back down yeah. and yet i kind of get I, I was slow on him because I, he doesn't really to me like stand out as a truly exceptional like all-purpose running back mm-hmm. yeah and I think that's a great point. Cause like you bring up, like it, it is the exception for a guy to have like one like extreme trait like that. And then you're just like, like you said, you were a bit slow on like getting uh, slow on him. If he's not an all around guy, which I mean, he clearly, I mean, he has his niche. He does it incredibly well. And that made him one of the best running backs in the league, but it feels like that's rare. And it feels like the guys mainly have to have really all of the traits you talked about, or most of those, like to really be a truly well-rounded back in the NFL. And I mean, guys like Derrick Henry, they're huge and maybe are the exception. Yeah. I mean, nobody has everything, right? But like, if you put Saquon Barkley and Derrick Henry in front of me, I know which one I gravitate toward. Mm-hmm. Now Saquon Barkley's gotten hurt, but when he's been healthy and if he if he's the same guy, I gravitate gravitate towards the guy who packs plenty of thunder. Nobody's gonna get mad at you if you say it hurts to tackle Saquon Barkley, but also has this springiness to him to change direction that Derek Henry doesn't have. Absolutely. Uh, so I guess I have an, one more question for you. So of course, having listened to your show, one of the things that you make clear, like, is the fact that the vast majority of narratives, reports, puff pieces, as you call them, in July are meaningless <laughs> and that you try to tune those out as much as possible. And it really, once it gets to August and mid-August, that's when 
things start to matter as you get closer to the season. And even then, some of that stuff is still just garbage that the beat reporters are putting out. But for fantasy football, <laughs> you're trying to really tune out most of that noise. So how would how do you kind of approach sorting through like that mess? And like what kinds of things would you look for as something to maybe shape your opinion heading into the year is what you kind of look to do in July, like shape your opinion, look for things that might change it. Like, how do you go like about looking for those things? And what do you let dictate your opinions heading into the year? Yeah, we you know, we're talking during the there is no even no like even in July, no one has any news like mm-hmm. in July. No one's even pretending. Right. It's going to in minicamp back in June we pretended like we were gaining tons of insights when they were running around and not hitting anybody. And then in August, once training camp starts again, the news will, the, the quote unquote news will come out and, yeah. and we'll start reacting again. Even now there's no, there's, you guys are, I think already have talked about Baker Mayfield earlier in the show, but that's pretty rare. Like July, there really isn't much mm-hmm. news. Yeah. So, so it's easy to have a hashtag click discipline. Now <laughs> the problem <laughs> is what happens when, when training camps start and, that's kind of why what I do on my podcast in July is go team by team and try to identify players and or situations that I do care about what gets said. And there aren't that many of them. Like so far, since we've started the show back up, we've done um, NFC East and AFC East. And we've come up with a hand, very small handful of situations, like the, the Buffalo running back situation. New, new rookie coming in interesting to see what the beat reporters and or the coaches are saying about the rookie because if they're saying mm-hmm. he can't pick up pass protection if they're saying anything negative about him then that's going to mean something for Devin Singletary if they're saying uh that wow it really looks like James Cook has completely uh worked his way into the rotation and might even be an early down back also not so great and, and for J- Devin Singletary and like would matter like if you're you know you're going to tell me Zach Wilson looks amazing I'm just going to go, okay, I mean, he's not getting hit and I don't really believe you because the, you know, you, I can't, I can't elevate jets weapons because you're telling me that in a seven on seven drill, Zach Wilson looked amazing. So they're, they're, I'm, I'm almost like pre-wiring training camp to assess like what, which situations will I listen to people who are on the ground and offering daily reports and which ones am I just not going to bother like, because they're going to pump up Mac Jones, no matter what he does. And so I I can't trust the Patriots offense until I'm positive in a game that counts. They've taken the reins off of Mac Jones and he, and he's now being allowed to throw more than, you know, seven yards downfield. Uh, And, and to be, to be clear, the amount of things that we should ignore outweigh by a large margin, the the amount of things that we should pay attention to when it comes to beat reports. Mm Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And then especially, I think it sounds like, I mean, having like hearing what you talked about with like James Cook and then on the other episode, the NFC East one, where you were kind of talking about the Cowboys receivers and how it's like, okay, well, Michael Gallup's now injured. If he comes back and maybe is seeming ready to maybe come back soon, like he might miss the start of the season, how that affects Jalen Tolbert, how that affects the rest of the guys there like whether he's good off the injury or not, but that seems like an exception versus like you said, just they beat reporter touts their quarterback for making a great pass during a non-contact drill, like fantastic. So what? Like it doesn't seem to amount to much ever. Yeah. I think, I think we all know it. We all know it when we hear it like, Oh, that actually could influence. Like I have, I'm interested in what bills beat reporters say about the bills offense in general without Brian Dable there. Like that's a legitimate 
thing I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm the overall sort of just feeling that they're getting wow wow there seems to be some more running here whereas brian dayball didn't you know that i'm not i'm not saying that we should all then quickly upend our draft boards and change the way we think about everything but it it, it is a legitimate change as opposed to you know uh cory davis is tearing it up in training camp like sorry i can't do that i can't mm. listen i'm not listen but i'm just gonna nod my head and not budge Corey davis from where he is in my ranks at all because so much would have to change and go right for Corey davis to ever be relevant for fantasy mm-hmm. exactly yeah. yeah absolutely so of course this show um obviously if the um earlier on and throughout has been the rb preview show so we wanted to get you on and maybe talk about some most some of the most polarizing rbs for 2022 like how maybe we're looking at them, how our opinions like could develop on them heading closer to the season and how yeah. in general you're just feeling on them at the moment and these backfields, cause they're questionable. And a lot of these are either crowded or they're dealing with a guy with injury. So it's a lot to kind of take in and a lot to analyze heading into the season. Um, so I guess our first guy on this list, it's the obvious one. It's Christian McCaffrey having been hurt the last couple seasons having rarely been out there. We know Christian McCaffrey when he's out there is still putting up not just elite, but like top of the line level production, especially in PPR. Like every time he would come off an injury and come back out there, it seemed like he hadn't missed a beat. I think there was one week where he was like a top three RB and didn't even score a touchdown. Like it's just incredible what he can do on the field, but he hasn't stayed on the field. And I've heard varying takes on his injuries, but I want to know what you think. I mean, he's had various injuries they haven't been all on like the same part of the body it's been like generally lower body stuff but it can be hamstring it can be ankle all sorts of things like that like what do you think about like how does how does that affect your view on him heading into this year and like sort of how are you feeling on him at the moment well i feel so vindicated frankly (laughs) (laughs) because you guys listen to my show you know that i haven't ever had christian McCaffrey as my number one running back because he just he's he's too small to have been given the workload that he's been given. And this, I feel like this was just inevitable 25 to 30 touches a week would be insane. You know, Derrick Henry gets that workload and he got hurt, but like Mm -hmm. Derrick Henry's a giant human being. He could fit Mm -hmm. two of Christian McCaffrey's inside a Derrick Henry uniform. Um, Like, I just think it's one of two things has to happen. Like either they're going to go right back to feeding McCaffrey the way they fed him. And he's going to get hurt again or, you know, have a good <laughs> chance to get hurt again, or they're going to l- limit the workload, which is what they should do. It's what I mean, use, they should be using Christian McCaffrey the way the Chargers use Austin Eckler. Like Eckler's the yeah. money player. Mm-hmm. Eckler's the one who is in near the goal line. He's going to score most of the running back touchdowns and he's in there for a lot of important plays, but they just a lot of the in between the tackle grinding type carries. They put another body on it and is it going to be a a spiller or somebody else this year we'll find out but i'm pretty sure they're not going to take austin eckler out there and give him a mccaffrey-esque workload mccaffrey would be so much more valuable for fantasy if the panthers could prove that they would do that um because i just we would you know any like i said anybody can get hurt but let's not be crazy a, a, a smaller running back who gets 30 touches a game is likelier to get hurt than nick chubb getting 20 you know just mm-hmm. true so i have mccaffrey in standard right now rb7 and ppr rb4 i i imagine that in a lot of leagues that's not going to get him that someone's going to go i this is a league winner i'm going to take the chance on him um but it's where i sit and i mm-hmm. and i'm comfortable yeah the problem is so many people try and just overlook the injury just say like if he doesn't get injured, you know, I have that league winning potential, but it's just with the workload he's gotten. And it's been two years in a row now where we've seen consistent injuries. Like that's enough to be like, I can't just be betting on 
him going back. I mean, we don't even know what he's going to look like when he returns. I mean, obviously he's going to be a great back, but we haven't seen him put together a full season since 2019. Like that's, that's a long time away from the game for a running back to not be out there consistently. And so I just think people are expecting to jump back into what we saw in the past, but that's, that's not going to happen. I fell into that trap last year. I drafted him thinking, you know, he had his off year and this is the year he rebounds, you know, he's recovered, he's rested. And I just game after game, it's just a struggle because you know, he has that potential. It's just like, you know, come on now. Let's, let's see it. So I don't know. It's, it's definitely one of those things that you just have to watch out for because it's really tempting. I mean, looking at his stats, it's obviously, you know, he does have that league winning potential. It's just, something like you said is going to have to change and people don't want to accept that. I feel like, so that's kind of my stance, obviously. So, yeah, it kind of feels like he's like, people almost like to overlook it because they don't want to analyze how likely or unlikely an injury is because you can have a situation like Christian McCaffrey, where like he is far more likely to get hurt than maybe a guy like Nick Chubb, like you said, but just the fact that it's so hard to predict. We're never going to know for absolute certainty because we did see Christian McCaffrey put up a full season and put up RB one numbers before we're just never going to know. Could that happen again or could it not? And so it feels like a lot of the consensus is just like, well, why don't we just ignore that? But then at the same time, you can't, because it's a game of probability. It's a game of some luck, but when you can play the probabilities with like you have with Christian McCaffrey, I don't see how he goes number one again. It, I mean, he yeah. can be high up in the first round, but definitely not the number one overall pick in fantasy for me. Like the same people who will want to dismiss McCaffrey's injury will will and be like, nah, he needs to be a top one or two or three pick are going to be like, I wouldn't take Saquon Barkley. No way. Yeah. You know, this is the same exact, I don't know, it's the same thing. It's very similar. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It, it, it totally is yeah all right and this is another interesting situation because it's another guy with injuries but I mean really his first major injury of his career obviously hadn't played a ton of snaps before that but Cam Akers is similar in the fact that Sean McVay was willing to give Cam Akers a really really huge workload like we saw for those few games in 2020 then of course he got hurt in training camp but he came back coming off of his Achilles and I mean Correct me if I'm wrong, obviously, because I mean, you've like been extensively researching, watching all these games, but he didn't seem like the same player, which makes yeah. sense coming off of like this exceedingly quick recovery from the Achilles injury. But he came in and wasn't very efficient, just wasn't that explosive at all. They would yep. give it to him and he'd run into a pile. And that was pretty much it. It seemed like during those playoff games. So what happens here? Like, does he keep getting the same workload? Like I it's, it's a polarizing decision because like, it's so unclear. We know Sean McVay loves to like utilize his backs a single guy is kind of a bell cow. Like he did with Todd Gurley, but at the same time, is it time to back off of Cam Akers or do we think he comes back with a new level maybe next year? It's the perfect example of something that we're just not going to know. We can't, I mean, I can't tell you usage. I can't tell you what Sean McVay's plans are. Obviously no idea. Um, And, and I, and it's one of those, we talked earlier about what you can believe in training camp and what you can't. And, and like the cam makers looks great stuff in training camp is going to be tough to trust Yeah, because that's what people were saying in the practices leading up to the playoffs. And he, he wasn't like a disaster in the playoffs, but he wasn't the same dude. He wasn't as he was not the, the numbers are one thing, but like just to watch, he, he was never really a wiggle guy. He's more of a, a, a power guy than a wiggle guy, but he had some, uh, cutting ability and it didn't seem like he had a lot mm-hmm. in that in that playoff run so i i think it's going to be one of those you're you're taking him sight unseen and hoping and 
I think the reason I've been on the more conservative side on acres is that injury in particular for running backs. I mean, there's almost essentially never been a running back who's ever regained the player that he was after a torn Achilles. Mm-hmm. Now I think medical science is changing because these Achilles guys do seem to be coming back even in the same year, like Marlon Mack, same thing. Marlon Mack tore his Achilles in 2020 and he was back and available in 2021. The Colts just didn't think he was worth playing all that much. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, I'm, I'm just like still stuck in that thought that man, an ACL would have been so much better than Achilles. Yeah. Um, so like the fact that he didn't look the same in the playoffs, which I think everybody pretty much agrees on mm-hmm. would mean one thing. If it was, a, if it was a injury that we were kind of had a la- larger history of people recovering from and being really good eventually from, as opposed to now he's outside those margins. It doesn't mean he can't and there, and it's a, such an attractive situation and he has been used very attractively in his rookie year. Running back just gets so disgusting after like, uh, 15 yeah. <laughs> seven like like you know the situation counts for something i, I think i'm gonna wind up having him in the early 20s among running backs which is i think probably about where he's gonna go i don't think people there's maybe mm-hmm. there's there'll be some incredible training camp hype on cam makers like we can't believe it he looks amazing but i i just won't tend to believe it um strikes me that he's gonna be a feast or famine kind of player this year mm-hmm. yeah i'm kind of the same way and it's just it's such an interesting situation because despite coming back from an Achilles injury, I just remember, I can't remember the exact number, but it was somewhere like, I think he played like 80% of the snaps in one of the rounds of the playoffs, like on the field. And he outtouched like uh, Sony Michelle at like, it was like high 20. <laughs> think about it. It's like Sony Michelle sort of is, like Tony Michelle had an Achilles and didn't know anybody. Yes, exactly. That's, that's what it felt like. It was like, where did this come from? He's back and he's getting and he's getting eighty percent of the touches. Like it just didn't make sense. So obviously the Rams want to use him, but then as we talked about earlier, that brings in the factor of like he's coming off a torn Achilles, and now you're going to give him, you know, thirty touches. Like that just sounds unbelievable because either one thing they're going to have to tune down his touches, or he's going to end up hurting something again. You know, so it's just it's very very risky for me but i think that there is a lot of upside because of how the rams have used him in the past and the flashes he's shown it's just like you said there's going to be a lot of training camp hype but what i'm more worried about is just kind of his usage and that injury risk and like just what sean McVay is going to do with him because i think that that's going to dictate a lot of what he does next year. also remember that daryl henderson was hurt at the end of last year mm-hmm. and wasn't really all that much of an option in the playoffs and so he, he'll be around he's a good player he didn't hold up to a full season's worth of being a starter but he's, he's yeah. a good player they drafted that uh kieran williams kid so i mm-hmm. um, expect him to be like a massive factor but you know i guess we'll see uh yeah, yeah. i bet he gets it, a great piece it, in it's <laughs> yeah is there is there a late round or unsigned free agent running back who doesn't get a great piece a great mm-hmm. write-up yeah he was exceeding expectations already so <laughs> but yeah i mean i think I, I think for the most part though you're right like if acres steps in i think he steps into the season in the starting role because sure. i don't think sean McVay wants to give up on this and do i think he's going to be better and than he was in the playoffs when he ran for 18 carries for 40 yards probably a little bit but like, yeah, is he going to ever be back to the same? Like you said, nobody has like really ever come off an Achilles and continued putting up amazing numbers, especially like the ones acres had, like the one game where he burst on the scene was like 29 carries for 160 yards. You're like, Whoa, like even top elite running backs don't even really get that amount of carries. It was just a unique situation. And he got hurt. So we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
All right. Next guy here on this list um, is another interesting one. This time it's a rookie. This time it's not a guy coming off of injuries, thankfully. It's Brees Hall with the Jets. Mm-hmm. And so Brees Hall's coming in, second round pick. Um, he is seems like the consensus wants him to supplant Michael Carter, who was obviously there and is coming into his second year. I'm kind of with that just because of the draft capital that was spent on him. But even so, it's not like there's nobody here challenging Brees Hall for the lead role. So it seems like to me, the Jets offense is also one that with Garrett Wilson there with Elijah Moore there, that if Zach Wilson takes a step up, this could be an offense that is on the rise next year. So I think the starting running back role is one that has some value, but Chris, what do you think in terms of like how much Brees Hall ends up taking? Like, does he end up becoming a workhorse guy in a really productive offense? Like, is there a chance of that? Or like, what would you see as his ceiling? I guess heading into year one. I just think it's, it's tough to dismiss Michael Carter after what he did last year. And I think people are too quick to assume that all of a sudden the Jets drafted some workhorse back. I mean, we're moving into a modern NFL where there, there's going to be a committee. And I think Michael Carter showed too much for like the way that some people seem to be treating him. Like, you know, he's going to come in. So definitely an exciting piece. And just from a skill standpoint, he's obviously a big factor, but it's just like, I don't know. I wouldn't be, I I'm not super high on Brees Hall just because I feel like he's going to be limited by Michael Carter. And honestly, I'm excited to see how the jets use Michael Carter. Cause he showed a lot of flashes last year. So that's kind of my stance. I was just having not seen him, you know, just like in a, in an NFL game, it's just, it's hard for me to like feel super comfortable picking him as a breakout player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm realizing it's hard to throw it to either of you guys. Cause you both have the same name. So other Chris, <laughs> let's hear what you thought about Brees Hall. Sure. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I want to always say that I, I really suspect that most of us talking about this stuff don't know what we're talking about when it comes to rookies. We're all reading the exact same reports and pretending like they were our ideas. Cause I mean, I, I didn't watch a lot of Iowa state football. Did you guys like chow down on tons of Iowa state football last year? <laughs> a little bit. I'm um, a big 12 guy, but not that much. Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, and, and like on my show, I, I kind of admit that. And then I have this kind of guys who come in and do spend a ton of time. And I, I began the process thinking here's another kind of bigger bruising unit unidimensional one track kind of dude who I'm just gonna I know I'm gonna wind up not being excited about and I had enough people who actually did the work who came on my show to to convince me he's he might be special he might he might be one of those bigger guys who can actually cut and move and find plays and like he's not gonna be a dancing fool he's not gonna be Barry Sanders or Jamal Charles or whatever but uh that he's got enough other things that he does other than be strong and, you know, straightforward to, to, you know, David Montgomery being another Iowa state guy. If he's another David Montgomery, I'm not that interested, but if he's, you know, but I sort of got convinced that he's not. So I think this is one of those cases we talked about what we're paying attention to in training camp. I think we pay attention pretty strongly to what the jets themselves say, the coaches say, and then also the beat reporters say about how these got, how Carter and, um, Brees Hall are used, whether Tevin Coleman is getting involved, um, is Michael Carter v- very clearly being put into a third down role as opposed to, well, they're kind of just splitting stuff right down the middle and early downs. Like this all will tell, tell us whether Brees Hall should have a little helium in his rank. You know, mm-hmm. I put him in that low RB2 range right now, uh, but I, I could imagine myself if, if we get 
kind of indication like no michael carter's only gonna play in third downs Brees hall's pretty much the man on early downs i, I could imagine myself getting a little bit higher on him yeah i think the reason i'm just i, I do like Brees hall next year overall and i think the reason i'm looking at that is mainly just the draft capital like you're looking at a second round prospect, a pretty early second round prospect too. Like, and, and like you said, even if you end up watching college film, like it doesn't, it can take a lot to truly evaluate a guy because they all look really good. And especially in the big right. 12, which I'm a Texas fan. I watch these horrific defenses every week. It's very, very easy <laughs> to run out of on all of them. But when yeah. you have a guy coming in the second round, like it's pretty, I mean, it would be at least the general assumption that having him be drafted even after like Michael Carter was at least semi-productive Brees Hall's going to come in and have a role and I think I at least I'm going to and I think that that's why the reason I mean the reason that he's ranked so far ahead of Michael Carter that would obviously be the reason is it completely justified that like we're assuming he's going to maybe jump into a complete workhorse role right away maybe not like you said Michael Carter may be very involved on third downs but the fact is that can be like it's very I mean, it's a basic indicator, obviously, but one that if he's drafted in the second round, coming in, drafted to be in this role, it's a good chance that we're going to see him there heading into next year and maybe get a good amount of carries and a good amount of touchdowns. So I do like his stock, and but it's something to keep an eye on. And it's one of those rookie situations where you watch in training camp, but again, like you said, don't all the puff pieces don't mean much. Um, so I guess let's move into, and I, I know this zoom meeting is going to kick us out in about like five minutes. So I will make sure to wrap up the show before then we'll get through as many of these guys as we can. The next guy on the list of the Kansas city chiefs, of course, is Clyde Edwards Hilaire coming into a new season for him coming off of a disappointing season, more injuries. Daryl Williams season was upon us for a little while. And then <laughs> the chiefs went in inside Ronald Jones in the off season who is one of the most mysterious players ever at the position who will, I don't know. I mean, we never know why he's ending up on the benches and just like sitting out for large stretches like he has been the last couple seasons. So I guess, what do you think on, what do you think on like this backfield in general? Cause Edwards Alaire, we have some stuff to judge him on over the last couple of years and it hasn't been too great. So is there that possibility that he steps up or is he kind of just a middling guy at this point? I think he's a middling guy. I think, what we learned is draft capital isn't everything. You know, he was a first round pick, not a second round pick. And when the Chiefs got a close up look at him during his rookie year, they they tried to give him a lot of work. And then they, by the end of that year, kind of weren't using him as much. And he got hurt. But I, I think what we learned is they missed the pick. He's okay, but he's not anything special. He's sort of a mm -hmm. run of the mill dude. And I think that's why you sign Ronald Jones is because not that not that Jones is going to turn into any kind of frontline player, but they're just trying to give themselves more options than they've had previously. So yeah, I, I don't, you know, I, I can't imagine CEH is going in the top 24 running backs. I can't imagine he will. Um, and if he does, I think it's a mistake. Any lower than that, I'm cool with it. And, mm -hmm. and probably the cheaper pick would be Ronald Jones, just to like a mid round flyer. But I, you know, for as good as that offense is, I just don't, I don't love anybody on the, in that backfield. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's like it's an interesting situation for sure. And I mean, you're right. Like he's he's no rookie where it's not a mystery. We saw him on the field. It might just be time to accept that, like coming out of the end of the first round, which looked so great. Maybe he's not the answer. Chris, what do, what do you think about Clyde Edwards? -Flair? Yeah, I, I'm kind of the same way. I feel like in this Chiefs offense, they wouldn't have gone out and made an effort to get so someone like Ronald Jones if they thought that Clyde Edwards Alaire could be their everything, because really they don't need like they don't need it, you know, they don't need some like 
they don't need two really good guys. They just need like they just need one person. I feel like they're like Clyde Edwards. That's good because they don't have any. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like they're like Clyde Edwards isn't going to take us to the next level and be able to kind of fill the RB role that they want to have. And so I think adding Ronald Jones is just kind of signaling that they just want to use a committee and just kind of use the guys that are playing well and playing well at the right times. And so. I, I don't think there's room for him to kind of take the next step that I think people hope that they would eventually see him take. And it's, and it's definitely not going to happen this year. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of stuff to dive into here, of course. And there would have been three more guys had we got to, had we had a little bit more time. But um, Zoom likes to limit the meetings, unfortunately. <laughs> but that's going to be about it for the show, of course. But thank you so much, Chris, for joining us again. It was great to have you get to talk to you again when we were a lot more experienced in the podcasting game <laughs> and great to hear your insight as always. And of course, uh, Chris hosts the Harris fantasy football podcast. For those who don't know, I'm sure most do, but I mean, that's where you can get it. Anything else you got for us, Chris, before we wrap up me, Chris. Yes. You, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. No, thank you very much for having me. It was a blast to talk about these guys with you. I mean, we don't all know we don't really know anything, but we're just throwing out our, our ideas. We're, you know, trying to figure it out as we go along and August will tell us some stories. It was uh, interesting guys and a fun conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. That off season can drag on quite a while for sure. But once we get into August, it seems like there's going to be more to make official takes on, which is the most fun part of it. In my opinion, I love just putting my stance out there on players, but <laughs> that's going to wrap up the show. Of course, thank you both Chris's uh, for joining the show today. Mm -hmm. And yeah, this was a lot of fun. So I guess I'll probably have some closing bit that I record as well for this podcast. So I'll see you guys later. All right. So it's me again, recording the post bit for this. And I had so much fun on this interview. Chris did as well. It was a ton of fun to get to talk to him. Like I said, a couple years ago, we were just starting out with the podcasting stuff. And I mean, having grown a lot to get to speak with a great mind in the industry once again and hear his opinions was just an absolute pleasure and a privilege. So thank you guys for tuning in. Anybody new here, feel free to subscribe, review if you enjoyed the show. Stick around because we got wide receivers coming up next week and I'm sure more epic guests coming down the line as well. So thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode. One of the most fun we've had in a long time. Thank you all for listening, and I'll see you next time.